Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy this morning. So we are in 2 Timothy. We're in chapter 1 and chapter 3 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and chapter 3 uh, this morning. We are taking a little break from the Sermon on the Mount. I thought you guys might be a little weary, a little tired of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we are jumping into 2 Timothy in view of Mother's Day today. So 2 Timothy chapter 1 and 2 Timothy chapter 3 is uh, where we're at this morning. 2 Timothy 1 in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read one verse from chapter 1, and then we're going to go read uh, uh, several verses from chapter 3. Okay, if you'd like, you can stand as we read the Word of God. Verse 5 of chapter 1. I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And now turn the page, it's a page for me in my Bible, to chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would uh, give us grace as we work through this passage this morning. We ask, Father, that you would um, teach us to make disciples. Father, you've given us a command, you've given us a commission, you've given us a glorious task. And Father, we ask that you would help us in this endeavor. God, I ask that you would equip mothers, particularly this morning, to seize the incredible opportunity given to them to make disciples of their children. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So where we're going to go this morning is we're going to look at a mother and a grandmother who the inspired Word of God, the Scriptures, teach us very clearly have have invested in a young man named Timothy. Okay, So what we're going to see is that the faith of Eunice and the faith of Lois was clearly passed to Timothy, okay? Before we do that, though, I think today is a great opportunity for us just to lay a foundation concerning what Lincoln Avenue believes about children, okay? And I think you could say that maybe better by saying, what does the Bible teach us about children? All right, now, one of the best places I believe that we can find that is in the Gospel of Mark. In in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 13, says, And they were bringing children to him, this is Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked him. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to him, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now, the truth that I would bring to you from that passage is the truth that Lucy sang about just a moment ago, and that's that Jesus loves kids, all right? Jesus loves kids, and not just does he love kids in a nostalgic kind of way, like we love Christmas or we love, you know, our birthday or something like that, but actually what the Bible says is that Jesus got seriously ticked off when he got indignant, that's what the word indignant means, when the disciples were limiting the access of little snotty nose, coughing in your face, loud children from being able to be near to him, all right? 
Now, don't be too hard on the disciples. I really believe they had genuinely good motives. I believe what they were thinking is Jesus has incredibly important things to do, right? That's what they were thinking. They were thinking, they were thinking about Jesus preaching and teaching ministry, all right? So here's Jesus. He literally has thousands of people who are trying to hear him. They're trying to hear the words of life from him. Jesus literally has a multitude of the sick and dying, people with cancer, people with with, uh, uh, leprosy, people who are paralyzed, who are trying to get to him. And the disciples are managing this, trying to get Jesus access to these people. There were people who were demon-possessed, right, who were mentally ill, who were broken deeply, who needed access to Jesus and so the disciples are trying to manage that. And at the same time, you got parents who are trying to bring little Bucky to Jesus so he can spit up on his lap, you know? And they're thinking, hey, you guys need to stay back. And Jesus steps right into the middle of that. And Jesus says, you're right, I have important things to do. And this is one of them, all right? That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. This is one of those important things. Now, what, what he essentially says is that holding children, blessing children, that's what he's doing in this context, is part of the mission of the Messiah. And he's going to go on to say that children have a particularly unique place in the kingdom of God. That, that no one gets into the kingdom unless they humble themselves like children. Now, listen to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 36 and 37 says, And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. I'm telling you, there is no more powerful, more compelling passage of scripture for foster care, for adoption, for our teen kid ministry, for adults who will meet with children for breakfast or lunch in discipleship than that verse right there. Do you hear what it says? Whoever receives one such child in my name. So in other words, whoever takes a child into their lap, whoever takes a child and speaks gospel truth to them, whoever takes a child in Jesus' name actually receives Jesus. Jesus says, that's why I look at it. I look at it as if, as if you're doing this for me, as if you are blessing me. When you bless a child, I see that as you blessing me. It is a spiritual act. And so in the context of today's passage, Jesus calls mothers to make disciples of children. Okay? So we have, we have this clear mandate here. We, we see how Jesus feels about children. We see how ch- children are called into the kingdom. And then we see Paul, the Apostle Paul, spotlighting a mother and a grandmother who made disciples of their children. And so what I don't want to happen today is I don't want all the guys in this room to say, Phew, not for me today. I'm sure glad. Mothers, you need to step it up, okay? Uh, I, I don't want you mothers who already have grown children, and maybe they're already believers, to say, well, my job is done, okay? Now, I'm going to speak particularly to mothers here today, but what I want you to realize is that at the beginning of 2 Timothy, in the second verse, Paul refers to Timothy as his beloved child. In essence, Paul saw fatherhood and motherhood extending beyond your biological children. Paul saw Timothy as his spiritual child. 
And I believe that he would apply that to spiritual mothering as well. And what I would call the ladies of Lincoln Avenue to do today is to engage your mothering. Did you know that mother is both a noun and a verb? It is both a person and it is an action, right? You can be a mother and you can also mother. All right. Now, I would, I would call on you today to employ the spiritual mothering, not only to your own children, but also to other people's children. You're saying, well, where do you get that in the Scriptures? I will gladly show you this morning. Psalm 78 is one of the key passages that drives our children's ministry. And let me pick out one verse. There's several in here that are great. But Psalm 78.4 says, we will not hide them. What he's talking about is the glorious deeds of the Lord. We will not hide them from their children. Their, not our children, their children. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. The psalmist says, we as God's people, we will tell the coming generation. We will tell their children. We will tell our children and we will tell other people's children the glorious deeds of the Lord. I believe it is a mandate that we not only be biological mothers and fathers, but we also be spiritual mothers and fathers. I believe that there is an aspect of mothering that can be captured in an incredibly powerful way for discipleship. There is a moment in time that I will never forget. It is one of my most precious memories. And it is of my wife. And it's of a little boy that we had not known more than an hour. And she's up in the, in, in the upstairs bedroom and the door is cracked so that I can peek in there. And as I peek in there, I see my wife with this little boy that we've only known about an hour. And she is rocking him the exact way that she rocked our five biological children. And she is singing the same song. She's humming the same song that she did for my five biological children. And I could hear her mother engine running like a Harley Davidson, all right? I mean, you could hear that thing come on, you know, and it's just running. And there was not a doubt in my mind that at that moment, my wife would not only give her life in a perilous situation for that little boy, but I was convinced she would give up all of her plans for the next 20 years for him. There is something about mothering that is fantastic. And what I'm asking you to do, women, is I'm asking you to take that, take what God has put in you, and make disciples. Make disciples of your own children, yes, but also of other people's children. There are women in this church that have done that for my children. There's a lady in this church named Teresa Wales. And my 24 and 22-year-old daughters, when they refer to her, they call her Mother Teresa. Now, they're not confused about who their biological mother is. But here is a woman who invested in them. Here's a woman who took them out for lunch their entire school years and, and challenged them in the Word of God and challenged them in the Scriptures. She, she harnessed her God-given motherhood for discipleship. There was a lady in this church, she's gone on in the glory now, whose name was Winnie Tennant. Winnie had no biological children of her own, but she harnessed her motherhood and she made disciples of my children. One of our most 
cool memories, we've got a picture even of it, is of Winnie sitting in her chair. She's a large lady, if you didn't know her. Sitting in her chair, her recliner, she had her dogs sitting in front of her, and she's got my son Haddon, who's graduated from high school today. This was a long time ago. She's got him in her lap. She was about three years old at this point. She had her little TV tray up beside her there, and she had a bowl of grapes and a bowl of crackers and a bowl of cookies, and Haddon was sitting like this, watching his show. She had a Bible movie on for him, and she was feeding him grapes from around the other side. She had him on his lap. She just like, he just opened his mouth like a little bird. She put one in, you know. Winnie knew that she was not the biological mother of Haddon, but she, she made disciples. It's exactly what Lois and Eunice did. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says of Timothy, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. I am reminded of your sincere faith. Okay? Now, where did he get that? Well, Paul is going to tell us, okay? He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. That is what we call a successful legacy. All right? A legacy. In other words, Lois and Eunice had things that they treasured. They had things that they loved. Let me back up. I said that wrong. They had one that they treasured, right? They had Jesus that they treasured. They treasured Jesus. They loved Jesus. They trusted Jesus. They were on mission for Jesus. They had the character qualities of Jesus and the values of their Savior, and they passed that down intentionally to Timothy. In other words, Paul says, I can see how the, the faith of Lois and the faith of Eunice, what they treasured, what they loved, what they lived for, that's been passed down to you, Timothy, and that was done intentionally. I completely disagree with parents who say things. I hear this once in a while, who say things like, I'm just going to let my kid pick, you know, what they want to do as far as their religion. What I, I, honestly, what I think is, well, you don't really believe anything very strongly then. Because we don't do that in any other area of life. No, no parent says, hey, you know what, son? You could have a path of doing meth the rest of your life, or you could have a path of productive labor. But you know what? I'm not going to tell you what I think is best. You know, I'm not going to tell you what I know about those two choices. I'm not going to tell you what, what I believe about those things. No parent would do that. And so if you're convinced of the glory of Jesus Christ, if you're convinced of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you're convinced that Jesus is the only way, he's the only truth, he's the only life, you'll want to pass that down to your children. And you'll want to do exactly what Lois and what Eunice did. I don't know what these ladies had in the way of possessions. I don't know if they were wealthy. I don't know if they had investments. I don't know if they had businesses. I don't know if they had houses or lands. But I know this one thing. They left to their son and grandson something of infinite value. Who is Timothy? You might be wondering that. I want want to answer that question for you because this is a stellar guy, okay? Now, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is maybe the greatest church planner, missionary who's ever lived. He wrote 13 books in the New Testament, and Paul himself said, I've got nobody of the character and the quality of Timothy. Timothy is my right-hand man. Let me read you Philippians chapter 2. In verse uh, 19, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests 
but not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust the Lord that shortly I myself will come to you. You see, Timothy is Paul's right-hand guy. And when Paul talks about this guy that he loves, this guy that is incredibly effective in ministry, this guy that is a world changer, he mentions his mother and his grandmother. And particularly what he mentions about them is two things, okay? Number one, so moms who make disciples, here are the two things I believe we find from this book. Number one, moms who make disciples have a sincere faith, okay? And they display it, all right? Now, now, what does sincere mean? You know what that means, right? It means it's not fake. It's not a fraud. It's not a joke. It's not, it's not disingenuous. It's the real thing. It's the real deal. Now, the fact that Paul describes faith as a sincere faith means that there is such a thing as a faith that's not the real thing. We actually read about that in James chapter 2, don't we? You remember in James chapter 2 where he talks about the demons believing in a way that does not have works. In other words, their life their, it doesn't match their, their, their profession or what they say they believe about God. And so there is such a thing as a false faith, a uh, fake faith. You've heard about fake news. Well, there's such a thing as a fake fake faith, basically. It's a profession of faith, but there's no real loving Jesus or trusting Jesus or obeying Jesus or re- repenting of sin or power of the Holy Spirit or joy in the Lord or strategic prayer or brokenness over the lost world. Well, Paul is saying that Eunice and Lois had a genuine, sincere faith. What they believed, they lived out, and Timothy had a front row seat to see that. There is something powerful about seeing faith lived out. You know, I mean, it's awesome to have the Word of God, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. You know, it's awesome to hear, you know, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that verse. That, That verse drips with theological truth that you can base your life on. But did you know, did you know that it is also powerful to see somebody confess their sins? Have you ever witnessed that? Have you, have you ever witnessed a born-again believer who, who, who messed up, you know, who, who blew it, who lost their temper or whatever, and then they're actually making that right with God? That's a powerful thing to see. You know, well, all kinds of Scripture we find in the Bible that is, is powerful when it is displayed. And in this case, it was displayed by a mother and a grandmother. These ladies lived out their faith. I'm talking about women who, who, who are moms on mission at the grocery store, moms who engage the lost world at the softball complex, moms who pray with their friends over the phone, when their little kid is, is pulling on their leg, you know? That's the kind of thing that's a sincere faith. It's little Johnny or little Susie actually seeing mom live out her faith. It's like, what's mom doing on the phone? She's praying for our neighbor. What's, what's mom doing in the morning? She's reading the scriptures. What's mom doing? She's praying for the lost. Mom signed up for 15 minutes of pray for Tunisia. What's Tunisia, mom? I mean, that's a powerful thing. That's an incredibly impactful thing to see somebody live out their faith in a genuine way. Now, please don't misunderstand and say that what we're talking about here is the perfect mother. I do not believe that Lois or Eunice were perfect mothers because I don't think there is such a thing as a perfect mother because I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect person and there's certainly not such a thing as a perfect Christian, all right? These were mothers who, man, they, they had all the struggles you guys do. 
right? They have the, the day when there's like a thousand whys, you know? But why, Mom? But why? But why? They had the time in the car where there was 29. He touched me. He touched me. He touched me. They had the meltdown in aisle nine at Walmart, you know, where the kid's just like, I've had it. I'm done. I ain't walking. You got to drag him out. They had all that. And in fact, I would tell you there's times where those are the most impactful times in a little kid's life when everything blows apart and mom, mom's responding to it, sometimes with discipline. Man, listen, perfect, imperfect mother's discipline, and it's a good thing to do. My mom was in the last service, she was in the second service, and I had her stand because how many of you have seen the new Star Wars with Kylo Ren? Have you seen that cool lightsaber thing he does? He learned that from my mother when she, she had a fly swatter. She had a wire fly swatter. She had several of them. Dad bought them by the case, I think. They had plastic ends on those Plastic ends would come off, you know. But my mom, you know, my dad would be gone and call her out. He'd be out farming. I got two brothers. We'd be off the chain. My mom would come out of there. Wow, you know. And, and man, I'm telling you, I, my two brothers are great dads. They're great they're great husbands. They're, they're really good men. And I truly believe had my mother not engaged us in discipline that we would not be the men that we are today. So it's not that a perfect mother is this haloed gal that goes around in perfect serenity all the time. That's not what we're saying. We're saying it's a mother who engages her faith in her everyday life. Okay? So what did, what did Timothy have? He had a, two ladies in his life who had a sincere faith. Man, they, they were living it. Through good times, hard times, frustrating times, irritating times, he saw two ladies that went to Jesus, all right? Now, he also, this is number two, he also saw two ladies who were mothers who fed their babies scripture. Now, before we get too far into this, I'd like to, I'd like to join those two. I want you to see how those two principles, a sincere faith and, and someone who speaks the scriptures, how they actually couple together for what I believe is one of the most powerful forces in the universe, okay? To show you this, I want to take you to Hebrews 13, 7, okay? In Hebrews 13, 7, Paul is describing spiritual leadership, okay? Spiritual leadership. And when he talks about spiritual leadership, he talks about these two concepts, okay? Verse 7, he says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Okay, that's what we're about to look at. And then he says, consider their outcome, the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Then leave that up there for a second if you would. So do you see that? So he's defining, remember your leaders. So what is a spiritual leader? It is those who speak the word of God to you and those who have a way of life that, that, that imitates faith, okay? That, a way of life that you're able to imitate. You're able to see their faith in their life and imitate it. That's exactly what Paul just described in Lois and Eunice. In, in chapter one, he says, these, these gals had a sincere faith that you, Timothy, were able to see and consider and imitate, and now you've got it as well. And now, second of all, we see in chapter three, these were women who taught their babies scripture, okay? Go back to 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 14, it says, as for you, continue in what you have learned learned and firmly believed, knowing from, from whom you learned it, and how from childhood. I looked that word up, childhood, in the Greek. It can mean a little, little kid, like a child. It can mean an infant, a newborn, and it can also mean a child in the womb. Isn't that interesting? So literally, this could be translated, Timothy, continue in the things that you learned from infancy, okay? The word of God that you learned from in, infancy, 
What we know here is that Lois and Eunice, Timothy's grandmother and mother, taught Timothy the scriptures from the time he was a baby. All right? We know that about Timothy. Paul just told us that about Timothy. We know that from childhood, little Timothy, infant Timothy, toddler Timothy, grade schooler Timothy, junior high kid Timothy, he knew the scriptures, and he knew the scriptures because his mom and his grandmother taught them. Right? This was a young man who knew the story of redemption. He knew the creation story. He knew how mankind was plunged into sin in Genesis 3 in the garden. This was a young man who knew that God judged the world because of its sin with a, with a flood, and only Noah and his family were saved in the ark. This was a young man who knew the promises of Abraham, who knew the exodus out of Egypt, who knew the entrance into the promised land with Joshua. This was a young man who knew the kings of Israel, both the good ones and the bad ones. This was a young man who knew the story of Israel's exile because of their sin and their restoration in the days of Nehemiah and Ezra. This was a young man who knew the blood sacrifices that God prescribed in Leviticus. This was a young man who knew the prophetic outcry against sin, who knew the Ten Commandments, who knew the wisdom of Proverbs, who knew the psalms why because he had a grandmother and he had a mother who spoke the word of god to him that's why he knew and and listen what paul says in the context of this passage okay let's back up verse 12 he says indeed all who desire to live a godly life in christ jesus will be persecuted that's right before he tells timothy this Okay, so what's he telling Timothy? Timothy, hard times are coming. Timothy, you're a church planner, you're a pastor, and I want you to know that you may die for this. You may be persecuted for this. You're going to have hard times for this. But Timothy, here's what I want you to do. Verse 14, continue. It's a word that means remain, live in, stay, abide. Continue in what you've learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and from how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation. He says, Timothy, things are going to get really tough, so what I want you to do is I want you to continue in what you learned from your grandmother and your mother about the Scriptures. I can't tell you how cool that is. Here's one of the most effective church planners, men of God on the planet, And when things get rough, his mentor says, remember what your grandma taught you about the scriptures. Keep doing that, Timothy. Continue in that. Dwell in that. You know what that tells me? That tells me that truth that is planted deeply in a child, they will use that the rest of their life. Man, think about When, when you are speaking truth to a little guy, a little gal who is squirming and twisting and kicking the wall and putting their finger in your eye, I want you to, I want you to remember, that may be the truth that saves their marriage when they're 35. When you're sharing verses with your kids in the back seat on the way to school and you're reciting them together, I want you to remember that those verses may be what gets them through cancer when they're in their 50s. That gospel story that you whisper to them as you're rocking them, God will take those words Those may be the words of life that God uses to bring them to spiritual life at 17. The stories of God's faithfulness that you tell before bed 
Those may be the catalyst that take them to the ends of the earth in their 40s with the gospel. It happened to Timothy. Man, he's, he's about to have a hard time. And Paul says, you continue in the scriptures that you've known from infancy because you know who taught them to you. Your mama and your grandma who had a sincere faith. Friends, scriptural truth is food for babies. And it's food for apostles. And it's food for missionaries. My experience is that mothers want to bless their babies. They want to bless their toddlers. They want to bless their junior high schoolers. They want to bless their college graduates. They want to bless their adult children who have children of their own. Bless them with truth, women. Bless them with truth spoken from your lips and confirmed by your life. I want to make a challenge to the women who have adult children in this room. Would you please continue to speak truth to your children? I told my mom in the other service, my dad's in this service, they're, they're not having f- trouble or anything. They're not fighting. <laughs> Dad just, he's hearing the sermon twice. Mom's helping with lunch. But I told him, I want to hear truth from you. I, I'm 46 years old and I've been to seminary. That does not mean that I don't want to be encouraged by the scriptures from my mom and dad. I'd like for you to encourage me in the Scriptures. I, I, I kind of have a blanket statement. Whoever wants to encourage me in the Scriptures can do so. It's, this is not like little kid stuff. No. This Scripture's alive. Let, let's talk about Scripture, shall we? Okay, you know, why, why is this such a big deal? Why is this such a big deal that Lois and Eunice had a sincere faith and that they spoke the Word of God to this young man from infancy? Well, it's such a big deal because the Scripture's alive. All right? Listen, listen to what Paul says. Next verse, okay? This is right in context, right in the flow of the passage, okay? He, Timothy's just been told to continue in the sacred writings that he's learned from, from, from infancy, from his mom and his grandma, and he's supposed to do that because verse 16, following your scripture here, verse 16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, the first thing he says is that all Scripture is God-breathed. It is the Word of God. It carries the authority of God. It is reliable. It is truth with no error. I hope you believe that. I was talking to... uh, my older two girls, I picked up my daughter from the airport yesterday. As we were driving back, my, my oldest daughter, Hannah, was telling me about a young lady who she's been uh, witnessing to in Washington, D.C. And this lady is coming along. She's coming along in faith. She's coming along in her interest in Jesus. She's coming along in, in her willingness to hear the Word of God in a faith fellowship. Uh, she's really interested in church. But she keeps being derailed. Like Hannah said, she'll get so far, and she just can't go any further. You know why? Hannah, Hannah knew exactly why. She said, Dad... She does not believe in the authority of the scriptures. In other words, she, she's bought into this American idea that, that you can take the Bible and you can say, oh yeah, I know there's truth in there, just not all of it. Well, guess what? There's a couple things I can't figure out about that. So what gives me the right to say what's truth and what's not? You know, I mean, what gives me the right to go through here and say, well, that's truth, but no, no, not that, no. What would give me the right? You got 6,000 years of inspired word of God here. Thousands of fulfilled prophecies. The guy that rose from the dead and ascended into the heavens confirmed this to be the scripture. What would give me the right in all my wisdom to say, no, that's wrong? 
I mean, I can't even fathom that. I can't fathom thinking that I have the authority to stand over the Scriptures and say, God, I will tell you what is truth and what is not. When the Bible says about itself, this is God-breathed. When Jesus Christ, the one who rose from the dead, said, these are the Scriptures. My friends, we should treat them as truth. Here's what Paul says. All scriptures breathed out by God and it's profitable. It's beneficial for teaching. Moms teach their babies, right? The scripture says this is profitable for teaching. This is the body of truth that will bring them life. Teach them the scriptures. He says it's profitable for, look at verse 16, for reproof and correction. Well, there's none of that in parenting, is there? So we can skip that, right? No, there's a whole lot of that in parenting, right? Reproof is, is, is pointing out wrong behavior, and correction is helping to get back to right behavior. And a mother of a toddler is doing that about 500 times a day. And I know there's not a scripture for when you spill fruity pebbles on the couch, But there's a body of truth here that is supernatural when taught to a child. When your child lies, and instead of just saying, hey, don't lie. Come on. Only jerks lie. You know, don't do it. How dare you? Man, it's so much better to say, hey, I know you were tempted to lie there. But let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus is truth and that the truth will set you free. And that the truth brings life. And the Bible says in John 8, 44, that the devil is a liar and the father of lies. And lies lead to destruction. And son, daughter, I love you and I don't want you to end in destruction. So do you understand how important it is that we be truthful with one another? That we speak, speak truth. That's what Jesus does. There's something powerful about that. Use the word. It says, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's interesting to me that word training is a word that means child training. Like it, it actually is the word for training children. The next phrase, equip for every good work. We, every, every parent wants their kids to have everything they need. Right? You do. I do. Like we want our kids to have sliding pants and a face mask and new cleats and help with math. I mean, nobody wants their kid to show up and not, be, not have what they need. Let me tell you exactly what they need. They need the word of God. They need this. And you are the one to give it to them. Mothers, what I'm about to say, you're going to argue with me at first, okay? In fact, you may be tempted to be mad and you may be tempted to throw something initially. Would you just be patient and let me explain, okay? Mothers, you have the greatest opportunity of time. That's what you've got. You've got time. You've got time with your children. Now, I I think you're going to recoil from that because I think every mother would very much say, that's the one thing I don't have is time, right? Like, But what you mean by that is I'm trying to get something done, and anytime I try to get something done, my children have a radar, and they're like, 
Mom's trying to be productive. Stop her, right? You know, Mom, I, my leg's broke. I threw up, you know. I need something. You know, don't, don't be productive. Don't get something done. Right? Kids are like that. So I understand, Mom, there's this incredible press on you that you do not have enough time because you've got these little ones that need you all the time. But I want you to see the beauty of this. They need you all the time. In most families, you're with them more than anybody else. Now, you, you know what that gives you? My son's 18, he's graduating from high school today. You know what 18 years is? 18 years is 6,570 bunch of stuff. Wake-ups. 6,570 wake-ups in the morning. What are you going to do with those? What are you going to do with them? Can you imagine leveraging those with the power of the Scriptures to do incredible things? So what if, what if 6,570 times you said, hey, it's time to get up, time to get up, hey, hey, they're up, and then you said, hey, Psalm 118.24 says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it, all right? Now get your clothes on and get to breakfast. You know what's going to happen? That kid's going to go to college. Now it's 6,590-some, right? But you're not there. The alarm goes off. He gets up. What goes through his head? If you've done that 6,570 times, what goes through his head? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You got 6,570 suppers, okay? Now, I know you're not going to eat them all with him. He's going to be at friend's house sometime. You're going to be gone. You're going to be traveling, whatever, you know. But in general, you've got that many suppers. What are you going to do with those? What are you going to do with them? What, what are you going to say about them? What are you going to say again and again and again in the Scriptures? You got, you got a, I don't know, you got a 1,000 trips to the grocery store, don't you? What, what are you going to do with that? Hey, guys, all right. We're here. All right. Everybody unbuckle. Hey, listen. This place sells bread. But Jesus said he's the bread of life. All right. Now let's go. Everybody hold hands. Right. You, you got those. And you're saying, well, that's not much. Hey, you do that a thousand times. You know what they will know? They will know Jesus is the bread of life. They will pull up to the grocery store with their fiance and they'll say, hey, Jesus is the bread of life. Why are you saying that? I don't know. My mom said that a thousand times. Every time we pull to the grocery store, she tells us Jesus is the bread of life. Man, moms, you've got this incredible opportunity to leverage that for Jesus, to bless your child. I believe there are things that we do not understand about motherhood. I believe that it is something fierce and powerful. I posted a picture of my wife on Facebook this morning before she was up, and I, I quoted that famous poem by, was that William Ross, I think? He said, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. There's truth in that for the woman that knows how to leverage what God has given her for the kingdom. So I'm asking you to be those women. Not just for your biological children. Would you be those women for other children? Let's pray. Father, I pray for our church. God, I pray that you'd raise up an army of women who would wield the word of God. 
who would live out a sincere faith that would be clear and obvious to those in her care, that they trust you, that they love you, that they cherish you, that they live for you. God, I'm asking you to to arm them with the truth of the scriptures. God, we're painfully aware, God, that we can't give what we don't have. And so, God, I pray that you'd give them the word of God, that you'd give them, God, a heart of faith and a heart of truth. And God, that that they would use those 6,570s for your glory and for the good of their child. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.